Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Welcome back to the program, and uh, I trust you're enjoying what we've been sharing over the last several weeks. Once again, this week, my son is on the set with me today. This is my oldest son, Jeremy, uh, and he pastors a church in Winchester, Virginia, uh, a church, uh, the name of it is Word That Frees, and truly, they do preach a word that frees, and there will be information on the screen how you can contact them, be in one of their services. It's great to have you back on the program again today, Jeremy. It's You're going to see his face there. a lot because the magic is always mm -hmm. there when we're on the set together because we think so much alike. Uh, and so Jeremy's become uh, really a leader in his own right to this generation, and I have great respect for his ministry. Uh, I'm going to get back in the Word this morning. We, we've been dealing with uh, Hebrews, the 12th chapter. We've been teaching the book of Hebrews now for probably months on the program. If you have missed any of these programs and you would like to, uh, you would like to go back and listen to them, they are archived for your viewing pleasure on YouTube. All you have to do, the easiest way to do that is simply go to my website at lenhouse.com and the opening screen will be a picture of this TV set. And if you click on that, it will take you directly to our, uh, our uh, YouTube page, and you can watch all the stuff we have aired uh, on a playlist there called the Book of Hebrews. You can also get it uh, from our podcast. Our podcast has a, a link on the opening page. It looks like a little iTunes, uh, you know, uh, insignia icon. icon. And uh, you can click on that. It will take you to our podcast. You can watch this while you are not watch it, but you can listen to it, audio portion, while you're driving in your car, taking a walk, taking a hike, walking the dog, and uh, you can get caught up. There's also an RSS feed there for Android devices. There's an icon that looks like a little robot. You just click on it, and it'll take you there. Uh, we appreciate you and your support to our ministry. It is what helps us take the gospel around the world. We're going to get into the Word again today. We were talking about last week was the first segment we did on Hebrews 12. But we're going to read it again, and then we're going to come back in and talk about some things. It says, verse 1, Wherefore, see, we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lie aside every weight in the sin that doth so easily beset us, and run with patience the race that was set before us. Now, just to make some comments, what he's saying there is that we're compassed about with, and all these heroes of faith, that were in chapter 11 that were examples of faith because they believed that God was going to do something. So they did something in the visible realm that was a picture of the redemptive work of Christ. Uh, today, uh, we are not believing because we think God is going to do something. We believe because He already has done something in the redemptive work of Christ. So for us, uh, we are not waiting on God to do something. Now faith is a substance. In other words, we're believing because what was shadow under the old covenant is now substance and reality in the new. Now we're not looking at the types of sh and shadows like of a, a lamb on Passover taken out as sacrifice. We realize Jesus was the, the reality of that shadow. That was a shadow. He's the substance. Yep. Abraham took his son up the mountain. That was the shadow. And Jesus was the ram caught in the thicket. That is the substance. So uh, now faith 
is the substance. In other words, they were believing, did something in the visible realm. So Hebrews 12 then encourages us to look away and look now to Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. So we're not living really in author faith, we're living in finisher faith. Yep. And uh, we look unto Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith. And when he's talking about laying aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us, we really covered this last week. Because the weight and the sin that was besetting them in the context of this whole book of Hebrews is the weight was the carrying of an old covenant performance-based system. And the sin was missing the mark and going back to Judaism and going back to animal sacrifice and going back to temple worship and going back to a Levitical priest when he's telling them that everything about this new covenant is better blood, better sacrifices, better priesthood, better tabernacle. So he's trying to get their focus off of what they want to go back to. And we talked about last week a little bit more. Uh, Hebrews 10 says, if we sin willfully, once we've been enlightened, Hebrews 6 also says this, and taste of the power of the age to come, and we sin willfully, there remains no more sacrifice for sin. Now he's not talking about your sin last night, he's talking about if you willfully go back to Judaism, and you willfully go back to animal sacrifice, and you willfully go back to all of this stuff, there's not another lamb coming. To do that you have to walk back over the blood of Jesus and do despite to the Spirit of grace. I I'm concerned, Jeremy, honestly, that today the American church, especially in Christians, are willing to go back to Judaism. See, God didn't call us to be Jewish. Not that I'm anti-Semitic, I'm just pro-Jesus. Yeah. So, so He didn't call us to be Jewish, He called us to be Christian. Yeah. And so, you know, they want to go back to temples and physical buildings and even some in their eschatology want to go back to a restored temple and want to go back to the, you know, uh, they're, they're talking about the blood of red heifers. To me that's absolutely absurd, and that's what Hebrews is writing to about, don't go back to this. Yep. I mean that to me, if you go back and offer the blood of an animal, it does despite to the Spirit of Christ. There is no other name given under heaven whereby men must be saved. But at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow, every tongue would confess. You acted like you wanted to jump in there and say something. Well, you know, he, it, it, in other words, he, you know, he's offering us something completely better than what they had. Absolutely you know, better. I, I was doing some counseling uh, a couple of days ago, and uh, I, I got to thinking about where in Genesis, just the first chapter, you know, the first or the first maybe three chapters there, you know, every time God created something, he, he would end in saying God saw that it was good. You know, and then he would, you know, he, he, and then he saw when he was good. But the first time God said something wasn't good was when he realized that it was not good for Adam to be alone. Mm -hmm. You know, when, we, when you were talking about, you know, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, mm -hmm. uh, despising the shame, setting down at the right hand of God. Everything God has did throughout the Old Covenant Scriptures even was always through a family. You know, he, would, he, was, yep. he was trying to establish... Uh, uh, in other family. words, if you're, he, he's going to show if he's going to show a pattern in the earth of what heaven really looks like. Every time, the one pattern that always seems to come about is when he would start with a family. Mm -hmm. You know, you think about where Noah. You know, he comes to Noah and he uh, he says, you know, I want you to build an ark for the saving of your of your household. You know, so his his family is saved, and then they become the the ones that begin to repopulate and reestablish. You know, the, the the mandate of God in the earth. Uh, you get to, uh, to, to Abraham, 
and he says, Abraham, I'm going to give you something. I'm going to give you a seed like the sands of the seashore, like the stars of the heaven. I'm, that's when I, you know, so I'm going to, and through you, all nations and all families of the earth are going to be blessed. For David, he says, you know, uh, your, your, your seed is ever going to sit on the throne. You know, in other words, God is always doing something through seed. And, and I think that whenever you think about where, even in the scripture where it says that for the joy that was set before him. I think when God told, said about Adam that it was not good for him to be alone, mm -hmm. I think really what he was saying is something that was true of his own heart. He was looking for something. It wasn't good for him to be alone. He was looking for someone. Companionship himself. A companionship himself. And so <clears throat> Jesus comes along and he says, you know, uh, uh, that, that Jesus was, would bring many sons into glory. You know, and so God gets, I think God starts getting excited when, when Jesus comes along, he starts doing everything the Father would do. You know, matter of fact, we talked, I think, even last week when we were together about where uh, you said about Moses asked for two things. God, show me mm -hmm. your glory and, you know, me show me the, the promised land. land. And, you know, the, when, when, when Moses, you know, he puts Moses in the, in the cleft of the rock and shows him his hindsight. Uh, one, I think Jesus says, you know, no man has seen the Father at any time except the Son has seen him. But Jesus then says, but if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Mm -hmm. You know, we, I've heard that, I always heard that scripture growing up, you know, you couldn't look upon the face of God and live. You know, and I always thought, man, I hope God never shows up in a place and I see his face, you know, because it's going. But then I began to realize is that, you know, when we think about, that was old, that's old covenant yeah. thinking. We can look upon the face of God now. And that was really an Egyptian <coughs> mindset that made them forfeit, you know, the, yeah. the, 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 the covenant God was offering, which is Abrahamic. They thought because they, they, they equated God to be like Pharaoh. If you yeah. went in to see Pharaoh, he was a God to them. Yeah. If you saw his face, it probably wasn't a good thing you're going to die. Yeah. But God wasn't like Pharaoh. No. And that, that was their misperception of him. Yep. And so when Jesus, so, you know, Jesus had to come along even to change that mindset for us is that you know, he's saying, look, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, and here's what the Father looks like. Yeah. The Father goes along, and he, he doesn't reject people. He embraces them. He doesn't, yeah. he doesn't, he doesn't uh, you know, discredit the sick. He heals them. He doesn't, you know, he, he's not bound by the death. He raises the dead. You know, his, the whole thing that, that Jesus did began to change what the perception of the Father was so that you can begin to look upon him and not again see him as this austere God that you, you, know, you better shy away from. But you can begin to embrace him as a father. That's why when Jesus, you know, his disciples came to him and said, teach us how to pray. The first thing he says to them is when you pray, say, our father, which art in heaven. You know, he begins to change their mindset from one of, you know, we, we stay away from this God to one that you, you can come to him, you can run to him. But, you know, we think about like for the joy that was set before him, what Jesus was you know, doing on the cross for one, and I, you've, you've preached this beautifully, where he, uh, the scripture says that a man will leave his father and his mother, he will cleave to his wife. So the joy set before him for one is that when he's on the cross, he says something about uh, mother, or woman says to his mother, but he calls her woman, he says, woman, behold your son, son, or son, behold your, your, your mother. Mm -hmm. But what he's doing is he's, he's, he's calling her woman because for one, he's, he's getting away from his mother and father. He's getting ready to cleave to his wife, the church, the, mm -hmm. the bride that was being birthed yeah. out of him. Then he says, uh, in another place to God, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Instead of calling, Jesus always called God Father. He never called him God. Mm -hmm. Every time he talked about it, but on the cross, he begins to call my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's really talking, he, what he's doing is he's leaving his father and mother, cleaving to his wife. He's getting his bride. So there's his joy set before him. But not only that, he's about to bring sons 
into glory because out of that union because the the only once you're once you have found your bride once he, once Adam has found his bride the mandate is be fruitful now multiply mm -hmm. it, it replenish the earth and subdue it how how God subdues the earth into his image is he brings sons into glory sons that look just like him his seed and they began to multiply and take over the earth not by war not by you know with with destruction but by simply putting the seed in the earth yeah and, and letting it multiply. And so the joy set before him was the bride and the sons that were about to come into glory. And then he's going to go down here, and I, I know we're probably going to get into this, go about ahead. he's going to get into how, how, how he brings correction now to sons. Yeah. You know, so now that he's, had, he's endured the cross, the joy that's set before him has been uh, seen. He's got a wife and he's got some kids. Now he's got to deal with these kids, you know, because you know, you train up a child in the way they should go, so that when they're old, they won't depart from it. So here's how he's going to begin to train up some child and bring some correct, correction. Because the scripture will say this, it'll say foolishness is in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction will drive it far from him. Well, I thought about Isaiah. Isaiah said that Jesus was of the stem and root of Jesse. He was of the rod of, well, let me see. I have the scripture here, so I get it right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. When I thought about that scripture, that the that foolishness is in the heart of a child, and then I thought about Isaiah saying that Jesus is that rod and stem, stem of Jesse, mm -hmm. that what the rod of correction that, that Jesus uses is not a rod where he beats us, but it is continually preaching the death, burial, and resurrection. What will drive the foolishness out of our hearts? is not the preaching of what you're doing wrong and the preaching of sin. Yeah, because it don't say train up a child in the way he should not go. It says train up a child in the way he should go. Should go. That you're training them up and you're applying the rod of correction. The rod of correction to me in the New Covenant is you, you, you preach Jesus and Him crucified. Yeah. You begin to preach Jesus and, uh, and the identity of who you are as a son. Because when you begin to have your mind changed into your identity, see, and here's the thing. In most churches, we've been taught an identity of sin. You're a sinner saved by grace. And so our mindset is, my identity is I'm a sinner. I'm saved by grace, but my identity is still a sinner. Yep. And see, as long as I, I'm still identifying as a sinner, I'm still identifying with uh, an identity in Adam, I'm going to continue to live out of that identity. In other words, if I believe I'm a failure, I believe I'm a sinner, I'm still going to live as a sinner. Sin is going to, you know, he's going to talk about here in Hebrews 12 that putting aside the, the weight and the sin that so easily besets us. How you do that, how you put that aside, because that sounds easy, or, you know, that sounds easy for the writer, but, you know, for everyone that probably has grown up in church, when you talk about putting this, let's put away the sin that so easily besets us. We're probably thinking, but, you know, I, this is a day-to-day -day struggle for, for me because I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And, and, and if Jesus don't come and, and just, you know, because we think Jesus comes and he just does some magic trick and then all of a sudden I don't deal with sin anymore. But see, it's not a magic trick. It's an awakening to a new identity. Yep. You are not a sinner. Nope. What will drive the foolishness out of our heart is applying the rod or applying Christ to our life. Giving them Jesus. Giving people Jesus. Yeah. Beginning to preach an identity that you are no longer a sinner, but you are a son. That you are no longer uh, 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 a slave to these things, but you've been set free. 
you know, what, you know, in other words, he's coming along here and he's even preaching the Hebrews and he's really talking about leaving a, 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 a bondage and a slavery. And the bondage and slavery that they're leaving is the slavery to sin into an old covenant concept. And he's saying to them, listen, here's what's going to set you free. When you get an identity and a hold of who you are now, you are no longer sinners. You are no longer bound to that slavery. You are no longer in servitude to an old covenant system. You're no longer in servitude to sin, but now you've been set free to live. And see, I think one of the hardest things for people that when you begin to preach this, one of the, things is, one of the hardest things is for them to leave that slavery and really live in freedom. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, when you, I, I've found even in preaching this, when people get a hold of freedom, they don't know what to do with it. They want some, they, it's almost like we want somebody to tell us, yep. how do you behave? How do you, you know, you know in other words, I, I've been teaching, you know, we've been preaching this for a while. You preach to people, you know, you are not, you are not uh, a slave. You don't, in other words, I, you can say, you don't have to go to church. You're not bound to that. And so, you know, people will stop coming, or they don't know how to handle it. They want you to tell them, I have to go to church, or there's a consequence to this, because they're more comfortable in that bondage than they are in that freedom. It's almost like when the children of Israel came out of Egypt, they would say, you know, at least in Egypt, we had graves, we had, you know, these certain kinds of food. Yeah. And we, we knew when to get break, make bricks, when not to make bricks, how many to make, and yada, yeah. yada. When we knew that bed, if we messed up, up, there was going to be a whip, crossed, uh, yeah. you know, whip slapped across our back. But out here, we have to really begin to trust in God, and we have to begin because to Because they the that are led by the Spirit are the sons of God. So we've never taught people how to be led by the Spirit. They're, yep. they're led by rules, rather than, you know, sonship that's governed by the Holy Spirit, which really releases a maturity in you yep. where nobody has to tell you to do what's right. Yeah. In other words, even like this, I, you know, when I, you know, when I lived in your house as a son, I was being trained not to live in your house forever. But for one day, I was going to go and have a family of my own. I was going to have a house of my own. And that, you know, you were imparting something, you and mom would impart something of your nature and identity in me. So that when I went out, there was something that I carried, or at least the hope was, excuse me, <coughs> that I would carry some form of who you were. I'd be an example of that. And see, that's what's happening. That should be what's happening for us in the house of God is that we are being trained. We're not being put into bondage of here's the rules, here's the consequences, but we really should be being trained in the spirit of our identity so that when we leave the church service and go into the world, we're still carrying some kind of example of who our Father is. Yeah. You know, in That's other so words, good. you know, yeah. it, it, we, we said in church, and we know how to, when to raise our hand, we've learned how to when to raise our hand, when to say amen, how to talk, you know, even in Christianity, me and one of my friends, we'd always make fun. You know, you grow up in church, you learn to make fun of some things. <laughs> we'd make fun of that even Christians have a different language. Yeah. We don't hang out, we fellowship. Yeah. You know, we got words and we, you know, you know when you're in church, you don't use those words outside of church. You only use those words when you're with, when you're yeah. in church or with your, when you're around Christians. But those ain't really how you talk. You know, that's not really how you act. You know how to act in church. You know how to put on your best behavior and wear your best, you know, your, wear your best, do your best, put on your precious Jesus face and, and act it out. But when we leave that place and go to our workplaces or our families, we don't carry that same, sometimes we don't carry those same rules. And that same, because yep. it's not a nature, it's not an identity. But see, when you really begin to teach people their identity as sonship and, and who they are in Christ, 
that what happens is they'll leave the church service and, and it'll infect their life. It'll affect those things around them because they'll begin to look and say, in other words, we'll, when we're in church, we'll put into the offering because when the basket comes around, we're trained to that's what you do. You put the money in the basket. But we're not trained that when we leave the church and we see a brother or sister in need, to begin to say, yeah. there's something, here's a basket that I need to sew yeah. into. Yeah. You know, but when you begin to train a child in the way they should go, when they leave the church service, they won't depart from that identity. Yeah. They won't par depart from that nature because there's something that's been instilled into them. And it wasn't by beating them, but it's by applying the rod, Christ, yeah. into their life that begin that everywhere they go, they carry that nature and identity. And that's really how we should be training up our children. Our, in other words, that's really how we should be training people in the church, not from an old covenant perspective, but begin to change some things where we begin to preach Christ and allow the Holy Spirit to begin to operate in people's lives. Yep. And so, you know, one of the things he's saying here again then is he's really reiterating this to these even first century Hebrews, a reminder of their sonship. Mm -hmm and of their identity, and that their identity is not found in their old covenant systems, but their identity is found in their new covenant Christ. Because yeah. so we look unto Jesus, who's the author and finisher. You know, everyone, every church you go to, they want to see the power manifested. Mm -hmm. You know, we, want to, we walk and we go, we want to see the power of God manifest. We want to see the power of God manifest in the earth. Slaves have no power. Yep. So if you have a slave min mindset, it will not produce power because slaves are powerless. Yep. They have no power. Yeah. You want to see the power of God manifest. You want to see it happen in your church services, in your lives, in your families. You've got to have a mindset from a slavery to really begin to understand your sonship because only sons have power. Yep. Uh, you know, only somebody who is free has power. Yep. You know, if you're still living in a slave mindset that this is how we live, you'll never see the power of God manifest like you want it to because slaves don't have power, only sons do the freedom that, that, you know, in other words, you want to see this power, start preaching some freedom. Start preaching the identity. Start bringing, you know, start allowing the Holy Spirit and trusting the Holy Spirit to operate in people's lives and begin to manifest. You know, I think even how we've done church sometimes with what we call, you know, uh, father-son relationships or apostles and mentoring yeah. is sometimes we've, we've really done it from a slave mentality rather than really producing real sons. Mm -hmm and real daughters of God who, you know, function from sonship rather than from a slave mentality. And, you know, one of the things Jesus did in, in John 14, you know, is He said, you know, uh, well, the whole context of John 14, He says, you know, uh, is to bring you to where I am, mm -hmm. that you may be also. And where He was, was in relationship with a father's son. Yep. So He's talked about living life in the context of sonship having a relationship, and we've even talked about this in prior segments about even the life of the coming age, or, the, or eternal life, or, or the, you know, eternal life includes going to heaven, but it also includes, the word is aeonian life, or the life of the coming age as well. And Jesus defined that as, this is life eternal that you would know the Father, so that you would live your life out of the context of sonship. Yep. And so the chastening that he's bringing here to them is not even, uh, like you said, beating them upside the head, but it's the chastening is reminding them, your sons, 
and your fathers of the natural chastise you for their pleasure, but God said, I'm not doing this for my pleasure. I'm doing this for your good. Yep. You know, and I'm doing it because he goes on down to say so that because what it ultimately does is it yields the peaceable fruit, peaceable fruit mm-hmm. of righteousness. There is fr- fruit to righteousness. Uh, and it goes on to say it also helps then uh, to lift up the hands that hang down and strengthens the feeble knees and makes straight paths for their feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed, follow peace with all man, and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord, looking diligently, lest any man fall, fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up and trouble you thereby, and many be defiled. So what he's talking about here again is the discouragement that they were going through. Again, this is 30-some years into the New Covenant. They're really getting, I mean, they've really been beat around. This is probably the worst tribulation of human history. And they are really been, I mean, if you're going to go back, that would have been the time to go back. But a reminder that you're a son, a looking at a Jesus who resisted to blood, a a looking to your, your heroes of faith, which were patterns of all of the conflict and contradiction of sinners and the stuff that was going on, that it should have been putting some courage in them. It should have been encouraging them. It should have been beginning to cause them where they were weak in their knees and their walk with God to be strengthened, their hands that were hanging down and discouraged to be, you know, uh, encouraged again and it, so that they could not fail of the grace. See, that's the point here again, lest any man fail of the grace of God, unless you miss this thing. You know, Hebrews 13, I believe it is, verse 8 tells us one of the reasons for this whole uh, uh, book of Hebrews is so that their hearts can be established in grace. Like you said before, we've taught people how to perform, but we've not really dealt with hearts. Yep. Because the real gospel does not just change behavior, it changes. See, law can change behavior. Yeah. You could put people under fear and law and threaten them, and you can change behavior, but it don't change their hearts. Yep. But grace, on the other hand, does a deep work. It does a work of changing the heart. And, uh, you know, we're going to talk about in the next segment how, you know, uh, once you realize you are a son, then you realize you're an heir. Because one of the things he warns them here is that he says, lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. So he's talking to them about, you know, if you're going to go back to Judaism, you're going to lose your birthright. Because your birthright is not in Judaism, nor is it in the Hebrew culture or temple worship. Your inheritance is in Christ, because we're heirs and joint heirs with Christ. We're out of time in this segment. I trust you've enjoyed that. What a way to look at correction. Man, that's a powerful way to look at it, is reminding people of who they are in Christ, giving them the rod, which is Jesus. And if you love your children, don't spare the rod. Give them Jesus, and give them Jesus on a constant basis, because that's what brings the change. Thank you for joining us. If you'd like to help us to stay on the air and uh, sow something into the ministry, it's very easy. You can easiest way is go to my website, and there's a place where you could give via credit card or debit card. And if you'd like to become a monthly partner, you can even set up a recurring debt for however much you want, and then you can stop it whenever you want. If that you don't know how to do that, call the number on the screen, and we'll help you set that up. Uh, if you don't get an answer, please leave a message, and someone from my team will call you back. But if you'd like to give 
give the uh, check, send it to the address on the screen, and we will greatly, deeply appreciate it. Thank you for joining us again this week. The word repentance means to change your mind. The message of John the Baptist and of Jesus was to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is accessed by a change in our thinking. If you are in outer darkness, there is weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. That reality is not always out in the distant future. It is in people's lives right now. One simple mind shift can move you out of darkness and weeping and into light and rejoicing. God wants to wipe all tears from our eyes and replace our weeping with joy.